When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. FMC Fast Chat takes you inside the news so you can be in the know in 30 minutes. Hosted by Fair Media Council CEO and Executive Director Jackie Clement, Fast Chat features notables in news, media, and business. Take a listen to the Long Island Local News forecast for 2023, featuring key decision makers in the hyperlocal media landscape. I'm Jackie Clement, CEO and Executive Director of the Fair Media Council, and this discussion was part of FMC's annual event, the News Conference, Real and Powerful. It features Newsday editor Don Hudson, along with Diane Michelli, who is Vice President and General Manager of Public Media Stations WLIW21 and WLIW-FM. Pam Robinson, founder and publisher of HuntingtonNow.com. Altice USA Digital Vice President Chris Vaccaro, representing News 12. And Mike DeWiziak, political pollster and founder and president of Strategic Planning Systems, also play a vital role in this conversation. This session is moderated by Chris Wright of Protivity Consulting. Chris is also a member of the Fair Media Council Board of Directors, and it's Chris who begins the program. Well, welcome everyone. Uh, I've met some of you. I think uh, some of us did this virtually last year, and, and uh, I think, Diane, you and I might have sat next to each other on a panel yes. right before we couldn't do that anymore for a few yes. years. So, um, Good to see you and, virtually. As, I think Chris, maybe as well, I'm not sure, or, or might have been virtual. So, And Mike, Michael, I follow your work all the time. We've, you've, uh, I, I serve as a volunteer on the NIFA board, so occasionally there's an, an interesting story you're talking about that I need to, I need to react to in the moment. So it's great to, it's great to be with you all. The panel this morning uh, is really to, it's, it's predictive perhaps, but in the moment and, uh, you know, our, our political theater has given us all some, some, uh, some fun things to talk about as well. Um, and uh, lately, and sort of an ever, ever flowing stream of, of things, but the panel discussion this morning is what are the stories or the people or the issues? And you might have people who are both stories and issues. <laughs> Thinking of my my new congressman, for example, um, <laughs> that are that we should keep an eye on, right? That that and 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 in, and I, I I stated the obvious one, uh, Michael. You'll appreciate I was uh, the, the state controller's uh, inauguration, uh, you know, the reenactment, if you will, the local reenactment was on Sunday afternoon, and um, Robert Robert Zimmerman was his uh, his MC, and there was only one George Santos joke in three hours. Wow! And, right, which I I was I th I found that remarkably a remarkably low number, right? But because it's such a, a a big news story that's national and local, so. Um, but I I've I've thought we would share that uh, amongst each other. I will I will say very little other than to periodically direct a question and keep an eye on what the what the the uh, participants are are sending in in the way of questions as well. Um, but maybe um, open up. Um, I know. Let's go with sort of the. The most local. I know, Pam, you've got huntingtonnow.com. You've been on one of these forums before. Yes, I have. Yep. A, and 
Huntington is now just outside the third congressional district, post redistricting, right? So, but you yes. can still talk about it if you want. But uh, yes, although I found a couple of ways to reach into the Santos story, there are a couple okay. of connections, and I have another. There's a predecessor one. successor yeah. thing for sure between Steve yes. Israel and Thomas Weatherly and that stuff. Yeah. So, so Pam, maybe maybe uh, your views on uh, from a from that local or hyper local perspective on you know, and is it a Huntington thing, or do you have it? You're welcome to speak about other things, but. Any stories or people or issues that you think are, are in in the moment that we need to keep an eye on and, and understand as as the year unfolds? Uh, yes, I think housing is the big topic this year for Long Island. It's been here for years and years. I came to Long Island in uh, from Connecticut in 1982, and my introduction to Huntington was I rented a place in uh, Centerport and was working nights. Got home about two in the morning. Five minutes later, a knock on my door: town attorney, uh, inspector, somebody else. And it turned out I had rented what turned out to be an illegal apartment. And so I had to move. And so that was my introduction to the housing issues on Long Island. I had never heard of some of these. Uh, it's been very obvious to me that the governor is targeting Long Island in terms of developing more affordable housing. And Huntington, which actually has a pretty robust accessory apartment law, is still resisting a lot of affordable units. Most of the housing built in the last few years has been a little pricier. So I think uh, Huntington's going to have to be, you know, I, I, she's talking about forcing people, basically state, state overriding local uh, zoning rules and code. Oh. And I think she's, you know, I think we're going to have to accept some change, whether a lot of people like it or not. And so I think that's a big issue. Uh, Republican control of this, what was a Democratic area, is another one. Uh, we have two town council people up for uh, positions. One of them decided not to run again. The one Democrat on the board isn't running again this year, after this year rather. So we've got a lot of a lot of changes happening. Those are my two and, favorites. And do you see that unfolding as you know? Uh, there's a lot of players in housing, right? There's yes. federal housing. There's yes. what the governor announced yesterday in this yesterday yes. yesterday in the state of the state yes. address. Uh, although she may have covered it in her inaugural address as well. And then, um, but then it's it's local and you've got in the town of Huntington, you've got multiple uh, uh, incorporated villages too, I would imagine. So do you yes. see that there's going to be conflict between what the feds, the state and the local, what they want to do and the locals will allow or vice versa? Do you, do you see that being a... You know, I, I think the prime area for any kind of housing is going to wind up being Huntington Station again, which previously took a lot of apartments and actually a court ruled against town procedure because they were basically forcing a lot of apartments into one area. Uh, I still think that's an area that's where the state and county and, and town are planning sewer connections. There is a pretty good, uh, mostly Latino business district in, on Route 110. And I fear for them a little bit because I'm afraid that some developer will come along under this mandate from the state and, and force some of those small businesses out and build apartment buildings. So do you want apartments or do you want small businesses to, th to thrive? And 110 in that area is really dangerous. It's already dangerous. So you wonder about the, the smart, the wisdom of putting uh, more apartments there. I'd say about every 10 days, somebody gets hit by a car on that street, on that road. Uh, it's crowded. People run across the street in the middle, you know, in the dark uh, and get hit by a car. So, uh, you know, there, there's some real complicated infrastructure issues that, that go along with housing. It's not just housing. I wonder if, uh, you know, if there's a business in interplay here, too, when you think about whether or not there is, is or isn't a lot of excess office space further south on 110. Yes. Before you get to the town of Babylon line, right? And whether yes. or not uh, yeah. you, you'll, see, you'll see what we saw in, in Farmingdale and Mineola and other places where they've built up a lot of apartments around the train stations. Huntington 
Your right. challenge is that the train station is already densely packed around, exactly. right? So. Exactly. But Millville, there is a plan to try to build in the former corporate center. Right now, some people are resisting it as a safety issue. The fire department saying they can't handle anymore. Yeah. When I talk about infrastructure, I mean our fire departments too, which are primarily volunteer. Can we continue as if it's the 1950s and handle growth? I don't know. I Yeah, I think that's a real serious issue that we have to consider. Our, our infrastructure does not support more growth. So what are we going to do? Thank you. Uh, Diane, what's what's going on in the uh, in, in from your vantage point? Uh, who, what, where, what should we keep an eye on? <clears throat> well, I, I just want to, I'll talk, I want to answer that, but I, I do want to point out something that you said earlier when you talked about the importance of local journalism and you talked yeah. about the George Santos story. There's no better example Right. about the importance of local journalism than the news, small newspaper or the local journalists who broke that story long before the election. Um, and unfortunately, it wasn't picked up in the way that it was after the election. So to me, that really signals the importance of local journalism. And I, I agree that housing is a huge issue on Long Island. I think something that people don't think about a lot, it is in the news now and then, is um, food insecurity. There's a lot of people using our food pantries. Um, <clears throat> WLIWFM, which is our NPR radio station, which covers most of all of Suffolk County, people don't realize, you know, they think, oh, the Hamptons, it's rich. There's a lot of food insecurity out there. The food bank is over, you know, constantly needing help with you know food and donations to serve them so many people more and more all the time that's one of the big issues i think i think um <clears throat> what we saw in the last year um with the proud boys marching through parts of long island and hate um as uh, <clears throat> a part of our communities is something that you know is concerning and is something that people you know, care about and, um, you know, are fearful of. And I also would say, um, going with the housing, income inequality. Um, and how do we, you know, sustain um, our communities, keep people, young people on Long Island, which we've always talked about the brain drain, um, with jobs and good places to live. Um, and income inequality, plays into that as well, because people have to make enough money to be able to live on Long Island. I'll never forget my son one time, and he's grown now, but when he was younger and he was in high school and he said, he started, you know, started to become aware of the world. And he said, do you think I'll ever be able to afford to live on Long Island and buy a house when I grow up and have a family? You know, and I think that that's a big concern. So, um, and public media, you know, we don't cover you know, we WLI, um, I oversee WLIW, both our PBS television station and our NPR radio station on Long Island. We don't cover, you know, the breaking fire or the breaking crime, but we do cover issues. And those are some of the big issues that we're looking at. And there's just one other one that I want to point out in Suffolk County, which is the Shinnecock Nation. Um, <clears throat> and that is, um, you know, there's a, a lot of things going on with the Shinnecock Nation. Um, you know, talking about building a casino, um, trying to sustain themselves economically now that they have a different status. 
possibly building um, a hotel. All things that you know they have the right to do are needed for their community, but obviously um, raise concerns for other parts of the community about traffic, which we were just talking about. You know, when you build you know, new housing or new developments, then there are all other issues that come along with that. But also, you know, the Shinnecock Nation and the sustainability of that community as well is a big issue. I think that is doesn't get a lot of coverage. And that there, there's a tie-in, I think, to the, and thank you for that, there's a tie-in to the Shinnecock Nation also to cannabis, yes. cannabis sales becoming legal in the current year yes. too, because they are, they are able to sell on reservation. The issue was always that anybody who bought on reservation could have been arrested the minute they left. And now that that's not the case, there there's a there's probably a tie-in. You would imagine a tie-in there too. Yeah, there is. They are they are um, they are creating that business on the uh, Shinnecock Nation. I don't know where it stands in terms of opening, but it is something that they are doing. And you, you raise another point, and, and, and if I'm not I'm taking notes here. Um, whether it was when you discussed either food insecurity or income inequality, but. When you think about the North and South Forks, you, you mm -hmm. probably need to distinguish between the, the summer people and the year-round residents. That, that's a pre-pandemic concept. Yes. You know, my father lives in the North Fork, and it used to be that maybe a, a tenth of the homes were full-time occupied, and now it's three-quarters. In fact, in, on, in the town of Southhold, it resulted in a complete change of government in the last election. Yeah, absolutely. People Something moved out there, registered to vote, and voted, <laughs> and did something that hadn't happened in 100 years. So anyway, I, it's, I think there's a, you raise a, a number of, of good points. I'm going to keep track of this as we go through it and then maybe ask everybody to react to each other's points uh, when we get there. So in no particular order other than the, the way my screen is organized, Brady Bunch style here. Um, Mike, uh, how about your thoughts on, uh, on, on uh, you're, you're going by Mike, it's not Michael, right? Whichever, it doesn't matter. Okay. Well, it, it, it's very hard to, look forward to 2023 and imagine a more entertaining year politically than 2022. Uh, you know, 2022 was a pretty, uh, uh, interesting and, and entertaining year politically, uh, both locally, nationally, and on the state level. So, um, but looking forward to 2023, we do have some really marquee, races to look at. I, obviously, the Suffolk County led, uh, executive race will be the marquee race, mm -hmm. uh, probably on Long Island. Um, at this <laughs> point, Dave Colon seems to, uh, the Democratic nominee seems to be getting up ahead of steam, uh, raising a lot of money, uh, coalescing support. Uh, the Republicans have yet to name a, a candidate or coalesce behind one. I think they're all hoping and, and begging Lee Zeldin to run. Uh, so we see, you know, then we'll, we'll, we'll see what uh, falls out. Um, both legislatures or county legislatures are up uh, for election. Uh, Suffolk, uh, shockingly, has uh, agreed to MAPS, uh, bipartisan commission, actually voted 7-0 uh, to agree to a set of MAPS. Uh, shockingly, uh, cooperative for Suffolk County. Uh, Nassau has yet to agree uh, on a set of maps. So the, you know, so the, the county legislature races, you know, will, will, will certainly be interesting. Uh, you know, and uh, then we, you've got the whole red tide thing, uh, you know, uh, two years ago in the, in the odd year, the local races in, in 2021, there was a huge red tide that, that 
you know, swept Republicans to victory in most places. Pam's neck of the woods, uh, Huntington, Ed Smith, and uh, mm -hmm. town councils, all the Republicans, all the Republicans won there. All the Nassau County. Legislative candidates, yes. I, you know, so, uh, <coughs> and I said at the time, you know, these things usually are yearly events. They usually don't go for more than a year. Uh, but then we went into 2022 and the red tide was still there, you know, on Long Island and, and somewhat, somewhat surprisingly, because the rest of the country um, didn't uh, get the expected red wave and, and Long Island did. And, and honestly, since November, I've, I've done so many interviews where people have asked me, well, why was Long Island the outlier? Why did you know Long Island get the red wave and the rest of the country didn't? And I said, you're misreading it. I said Long Island was not an outlier. The The message of this election was that the vast number of voters voted against extremism. Now, most of the country was voting against Republican extremism, uh, MAGA extremism, if you will, nationally. But locally, people cared far more about statewide issues, and they were voting against the extremism, the progressive extremism of Albany. So, yes, and so this wasn't, Long Island wasn't an outlier. They voted against extremism. They just took it out on the progressive agenda. Um, and that being the case, something I think we, is going to be, I think, really interesting, and Pam sort of set the, the tone here, I guess, with housing. Um, but this could become a real political football because uh, the governor uh, took a run at home rule um, last year, budgetarily, uh, the outcry in the suburbs was so uh, tremendous that she had to pull it back. Um, but most political observers, especially here in Long Island, thought she would take another run at home rule. And sure enough, in her proposal, she is. She's, she's going to say, well, okay, uh, maybe there'll be an appeal process that if the town zoning uh, board doesn't doesn't approve a certain project and appeal project on this on a state level that will override the local zoning and that is going again against home rule i think that again there will be a big outcry on this because i mean nobody disagrees that we don't need more affordable housing uh but taking that decision making away from the local governments is going people move to the suburbs for a reason they move to the suburbs to have a different kind of quality of life than the city and um this is going to become a huge political battle if she if she pushes this forward um uh and and and, and constitutionally not that albany always follows what's legal and constitutional but you'd have to change the state constitution because home rule is assured in the state constitution so they they would have to actually she would have to really change the charter the constitution to to try to push this forward not again that albany always listens to that but uh mm -hmm. Uh, but then, and that's just really some of the stories. There's a lot of uh, stories. Uh, obviously, you know, the obvious one, the, the ongoing gift that keeps giving George Santos. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I did more press hits on, on George Santos in the last two weeks than I can count. In fact, uh, last Thursday, uh, they called me for a, for an interview, and I said, "So, what's the topic?" And they said, "Oh, the speaker, the speaker battle." I said, "Oh, thank goodness, I don't have to talk about George Santos." <laughs> but every every C-SPAN camera found George Santos, uh, even during that. Yeah, but I, you know, I don't know how many people were watching, but um, you know, if you were watching C-SPAN, which obviously had an open camera while there was no sp uh, speaker chosen, 
Uh, or even if you're watching CNN or some of the other channels, the, the Long Island um, delegation were right in the middle of this. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if, if it, in fact, if it weren't for Andrew Garbarino, they, they, we probably still wouldn't have a speaker. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, Gar Garbarino is the one who delayed the, the adjournment vote. Um, then walked over, I and mean, you can see it on the camera. And then he walks over to Matt Gates, and and and, and well, first he has a heated conversation with McCarthy for not adjourning. Then he walks over to Gates, and then he points Gates over to McCarthy and basically says, "If he's got your, you has your support, go tell him." And he goes and sees he doesn't. You know, so the the Long Island delegation had a really you know historical part to part to play in this. So, Mike, do you think uh, you mentioned district lines? Does that um become its own story. I, 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 I'm, in, I'm working in Uniondale this week and I decided for some reason to head over to the town of Hempstead redistricting meeting last on Monday night where they were talking about those district lines. And I think they're, it was pretty obvious from the speakers that they're planning on litigating the fact that, you know, the town of Hempstead is about 52% white and 47.5% then none. And yet somehow the lineup of districts is not three and three. Uh, Jerry Mann there. Jerry right. Mann is a wonderful So, um, the, do you think that becomes a story? I yes, mean, I do. It, it, yeah, I do. I, I, it falls on a county level and the town level. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I do. This is Nassau is going to be a hotbed of, of redistricting fighting. And, and the interesting thing about it is that you know the timeline's been moved up. You know, if you remember that the 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 state the, the state wide primaries, all the primaries in New York used to be in September. Um, and then the federal there's a federal suit that said no you gotta you gotta have the federal ones in june and then eventually they moved them all to june and what that means is petitions have to hit the, hit the street in march mm -hmm. which means the lines have to be set in march. So <laughs> we might have another situation like we had last year where you have separate primaries if these lines aren't set you know you might have a situation like we had last year where you had you know one primary in june for most of the races and then we had to have a later primary in august because of the special senate primaries yeah and it's it, it's always interesting you know the, the counties they redistrict all 18 in suffolk all 19 districts in nassau and the town have it's three it's, it's six being redistricted but you only elect three every year right so you'll have that exactly. odd circumstance where i where i live i believe the shape didn't change at all. I live in the one area that was drawn the way a child would just draw a square until they got to enough voters, right? Um, the others were oddly shaped. But I, you would have people representing people who didn't elect them for two years at least, right? And with the, the way they do, they do half a class at a time. So I'm wondering, that may just be for the wonks, but it, it, you could see it becoming a story if it, if it results in litigation. Yeah, the, the staggered the staggered uh, terms are, are holdover from at large seats. Right, and they, they really you know once you once you go to a a a, a districts a ward district, uh, you yeah. really should hold them all at the same time. But yeah. but North Hempstead and Hempstead both do three and three every four years, so that yeah, makes it interesting. Great. Well, thank you. Um, I, I'm going to move to Don. I know you've got a, a panoramic. Is that are you? Uh, is that a is that a real background in the new building, or are you? Uh, you've got a good Zoom Zoom template. Oh uh, no, no, this is the building. <laughs> cool, nice to see it. Yeah. I was telling you the earlier uh, the, the earlier panelists. Uh, I was a, a payroll clerk at Newsday when I was one summer in college, so I'm oh. quite familiar with with the sounds and smells of two thirty five Pinelawn Road because the printing shop <laughs> was, was was in the, the next building. So, but uh, what, Don, what do you think is uh, is 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 there to for people to keep an eye on uh, stories, people, or issues? Well, I think going back to Pam, Pam started it off on the on the right note with housing. That's going to be a huge issue for us, especially 
with the announcement uh, uh, yesterday from Hochul, the biggest, uh, some of the biggest things for us is going to be pocketbook issues across the board. Um, food insecurity also too, uh, that was mentioned earlier as well too. Now we'll continue to focus on all of our key topics, uh, which is we'll continue to push really hard on investigations. We have a couple of uh, projects, big hits that are coming up here real soon that I think our readers will that will resonate with our readers. Um, we'll continue to cover health. Um, we're finding now anytime we do COVID stories, you know, there was that COVID fatigue for a minute or two, but now, you know, as we sporadically do these stories, as they develop, we find that people are really going like, okay, all right, yeah, there's there's the latest news here, especially with this new variant. So we're, we're staying on top of that. Of course, education is key for us, K through 12. Um, gets a lot of traction for us, more so than colleges. And then, of course, transportation still is huge for us, roads, infrastructure, and uh, anything that's happening with the Long Island Railroad. Um, we're going to put a bigger emphasis on covering the environment this year. Um, I ended up losing one of my environmental reporters because I moved him over to investigations. So I'm trying to shore up in, in that particular area because of all our water quality uh, issues, as you very well know, here on Long Island. So we're going to push really hard on that. Um, we're going to push really hard also, too, on real estate and, uh, you know, and the other things like preps, we're going to try to continue to to own that as well, too. Our preps coverage in food and entertainment. Uh, we've hired another uh, Feed Me reporter uh, and we're doing a whole lot more video as well, too, as you guys very well know. And um, we're getting ready to launch our uh, Newsday TV as well, too. So those are those are some of the key things that uh, that we're up to right now, actually, in those topics. Newsday TV being streamed on the on the Newsday app, or it will be a, if you're able to say, or or yeah, yeah, there and elsewhere as well too, okay. and it'll be free too, Chris. Great. I, I do. I, I was a Newsday carrier. I remember delivering in the afternoon, and the dynamics entirely changed. I still subscribe. The paper still hits the curb in the morning, but by the time it arrives, I've read it all online. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> Me Which too. Actually, you're getting the money anyway because you can't get the app without without subscribing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it works out well. Great. Uh, Chris, how about from a, from a News 12 uh, LT's perspective? Uh, I hate to call it the death of small business, but the impact of the economy continuing to shutter, you know, our places that we've ate at, that we've shopped at for 60, 70 years, that continues to be a story. You know, like places that you've all frequented, places that we loved and grew up with, they're gone. And it's it's a two, it's three part story. It's, it's the impact of the economy on our region. It's the death of small business or maybe the evolution of small business. And then it's what do we do with that brick and mortar location? And it becomes sort of a real estate story and a local government story of what they're doing to fill those spots. And so we're trying to follow those. And every time we post something, King Cullen closing, the Good Steer and Lake Grove closing, the several diners. I mean, diners, I feel like, took the biggest hit. There's dozens that just you know died in, in the last 18 months. What are we doing with those properties? Where you know what? What are we going to fill them with? And that's a that's a story because I don't think anybody really knows. And you know, even in the the village that I live in, I'll talk to the mayor just in conversation. Like, what do we do with this thing? They have a vision of what they'd like for their village, but they don't yet know how to fill it because people aren't, aren't racing to build another business in that spot because they can't afford it because they're unsure if are we in a recession? Are we not? Where are they going to be able to fund this? When I, when my wife and kids and I are driving by and we see oh that. That restaurant's new. Like, all right, great. Good luck. Let's go there. We'll eat there next week. So the idea of just what can the news business do to support these local businesses that start up? How are we covering the ones that are dying? And why are they dying based on 
economical, you know, faults to, um, you know, is it government? Is it COVID? Is it um, public health issues? I mean, there's a lot of issues for it, obviously, a very multi-layered story. I don't think that's stopping. So that's a huge thing that we're going to continue to look at in 2023 and probably beyond. Um, I, I also think cannabis and these recreational distilleries is really fascinating. You know, where will they pop up? Which towns are going to have the approval to do it? Um, we just covered something in Connecticut. Obviously, News 12 is across the tri-state, so it's not just Long Island. But um, we're looking at the individual distilleries that are popping up and the impact of the local economies in all of our regions. We have seven regions across the tri-state. That's huge for us. Every time we post it, I think people on one hand go, Oh, that's interesting. I'd like to go use that and try that. Or people go, oh my God, I can't believe this is popping up. Keep this away from my community. See, so there's always both perspectives to cover and to share. And so that's another one. Uh, also, there you, you mentioned Shinnecock, a different angle related to Native Americans, the state and how they're going to create these guidelines for school districts that have Native American logos and names and likenesses in their community. And I'm interested to see how that plays out. I mean, obviously, something like an East Islip with the Red Men is very front and center. There's other ones like Massapequa and the Chiefs. And that's a very, very local story. I mean, obviously, it'll grow across the entire state. But people are so passionate about their community and how it's depicted with their monikers and their logans and their slogans, um, the logos and slogans. And so that's an unknown right now of what those guidelines are going to be from the state and how that's going to impact state aid for those school districts. So we have to see that. We got to monitor that and, and tell those stories and um, you know, the perspective of both sides, obviously what it means to Native Americans and those impacted on how it looks and feels and what are the people in the communities thinking and inside that community, the administration versus the school board versus the taxpayers, so many layers of stories as you all know. Um, and News 12 is evolving as well in terms of its storytelling. So we've about 18 months ago launched something called News 12 New York, which is our streaming network on OTT platforms. We're on about 15 different distribution partners and platforms accessible through Roku, Amazon, Apple, and, and a dozen others. Um, we are now <clears throat> investing in that. And what does that mean to grow our audience beyond linear and beyond television? Obviously, growing beyond digital and social as well. This is a separate audience. This is a different way of consumption that many, many people from a younger demographic, especially, or I hate to use the term cord cutters, are gravitating towards these other platforms to get their news. And so we're on those platforms. It's now how do we build that network more? We, we call it an eighth channel. Uh, and it's actually in my business unit in digital because it is digital, but we have MMJ is going out covering different regions that we normally wouldn't. We have long form programming that's being developed. We're developing a primetime schedule and slate of different content for the evening. Um, you know, and so how we're building that eighth channel or, you know, portion of our network is arguably the biggest growth area for News 12 going forward because it's a massive audience that is out there that we need to get, that we need to let them know, hey, we're here as well. Um, and there's also you know, I love looking at it like this. There's a lot of people who may, and I hate to say this, but they may not know what News 12 is. And so we need to let them know, hey, 
this is a local news network in the tri-state, not just Long Island. And, you know, you can be entertained and informed and engaged as well. And that could be a younger person. It could be somebody who moved here and wasn't quite familiar with us. It could be somebody who just never had cable. <laughs> you know, there's there are people like that that exist. So um, big challenges, but very big growth areas that we're excited about. And it's been um, you know, a busy 11 days so far in this, in this year as we're just really treating it, um, you know, with a, a sort of full court press. Great. Thanks, Chris. And I know on the, the business front, it's interesting that it used to be if you took took Route 110 north to south, you'd hit a diner every other other over traffic traffic light. And, you know, now one there's one in 7-Eleven. The one's a 7-Eleven in Farmingdale. There's another one in Farmingdale. I forget what it is. And inexplicably, there's one that's empty across the street from the Walt Whitman Wall where you'd think you'd be able to they make a diner. They just tore it down. They just tore, oh, they tore it down. All right. Yeah, just a week. week ago. Yeah. yeah. Empty for you, years. One of the things I saw in some of the coverage, I think it was mostly in, in, in Newsday on some of the restaurants closing, was not so much that it was economically unviable, but it was sort of the family was just tired. The lease was up and they were yeah. they were done with it. Maybe I wonder if there's a post-pandemic you know, we got through it. They stood it up. They kept it open. They served the public at the curbside. And they are just, is, is it also, a, is there a demographic angle to that, do you think, that's going to evolve? Anyone's views on that in terms of, is, is it, was it economic? I suppose if you make enough money, you'd keep it open. Or, or was it like the the deli in Plainview that did stay open because they just arranged for the, the, the workers to take it over, but the family just was tired? So I just read a story about the the restaurant that has been rated the best restaurant in the world closing, and the re and I read the article and the reason that it was closing was not for economic reasons, although that's a part of it during the pandemic, hard to sustain. But a lot of it was the things that you're talking about, the the lifestyle that running a restaurant um, requires is something that people are rethinking now after the pandemic where we're all we're all rethinking like our lives right we all hear the stories about the work life balance and you know what's we have a different lens on what's important to us and how we want to spend our time and that i think is one of the, might be one of the reasons i don't know cuz i i'm not in that business but i thought that that perspective um <clears throat> and looking at the quality of life for the workers and the hours and everything that's required and how the pandemic has sort of shifted the way that people look at their lives and how they want to spend their time was the real reason that that particular restaurant decided they were going to close, even though they have been rated the best in the world. And it, it, it's not in this country. So that's, uh, it's, that's it's in Copenhagen. <laughs> that's another story. Story that we have to all follow as well yeah. is I hate even saying post-pandemic, but we are post-pandemic. It's the workforce and workplace yeah. mindset and um, the generational gap that has risen, the rights of workers, the work from home versus in office. That is a story. It, mm -hmm. you, you can localize it because every business has different policies right. and principles, two days here, three days there. It's 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 interesting because there's no perfect answer. Uh, you know, we just saw Disney say they're yeah. going four days a week in office, you know, Bob Iger's making the change. Oh, there's, a, there's a local angle since he's from Oceanside. <laughs> um, right. so, yeah, it's interesting that that, you're right, it's not just the economy, but it's just the mindset and people's personalities have adjusted and what they like and desire, so. Yeah, a big problem here is workforce. I mean, most of the, uh, I mean, you know, I, I know a lot of restaurant owners, you know, particularly down here in the, the Bayport-Sayville area, 
Um, and they, every one of them says the same thing. They can't get workers. They can't get people to work. A lot of them have had to cut back their hours and schedules strictly because they can't get people to work. Our, our, our local pizza parlor mm-hmm. um, always was open till 11 o'clock. Uh, they're closing at nine now. And it's strictly because they can't get workers. They cannot get work. And of course, that again, get back, getting back to Pam's opening, gets back to workforce workforce housing, you know, having having places where they can afford to live. Yeah, out on the East End with um, in in the Hamptons, that's a huge issue. I mean, there were there were business owners putting ads in newspapers asking if people had housing that they could, you know use for their workers, the trade parade, the traffic, you know, all of these things that play into whether or not somebody's going to spend two hours on, you know, or three hours commuting, you know, because they can't afford to live near their work. Mm -hmm. And is it worth it for them to do that and saying no, and then they're not being enough workers. So it's it all of these things that we're talking about are interrelated and have a huge impact on Long Island. And Diane, some of those are not necessarily the highest paid workers either. And we, oh, had, no, a, we had a question not. come in. It was a follow-up to you, but again, open to everyone. Um, the, the question stated that Long Island Cares, which we all know is doing a yes. work in Hampton Bays. They've got a relationship with the Shinnecock Nation. Yes. But is there um, is there something else that needs to be done north and south Fork East End to deal with the food insecurity that likely, likely is more workforce affected than you would imagine some are people affected, but do, is there anything, are there, are there stories yeah. there to be done? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I think the more that we as the media can, you know, do stories and cover that issue and bring it to the forefront, the more that people, you know, turn out to help because they know about it, because it is something that, you know, I know about it. Lots of people know about it. It's something that's in the news. But it, it's it's also something that there's a wall there somehow. And so we have to try to help break through that wall to be able to tell those stories um, <clears throat> so that it resonates with people and they turn out and they care and they do care and they do something about it. They donate, they volunteer, they they you know give money, they give food, um, you know, they lend a helping hand to their neighbor, whatever it is. Um, but the more that we can cover that story, I think the more help that organizations like Long Island Cares will get. Um, and it's absolutely needed. I think that people, whenever they hear about it and you talk about it, they're surprised yeah. that a place like Long Island or the Hamptons has this issue. It's not something like, because we all drive around on Long Island and we're not walking around, it's not like when you go to New York City and you see it. Right. You see you see it on the streets of New York. You see it, you know, when you walk by, you know, a, a, a food kitchen, um, you don't see it in the same way on Long Island. And I think that that is something that um, if we could show it in a way that was respectful, um, that that would be helpful because you don't it's not in your face in the same way. So we have to do a better job of reporting on that story and bring it to a human level that people can't turn away and say, oh, that's not me, that doesn't matter. You mentioned respect, the respectful part of it, right? I think that's the challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know, for example, my parish in Wanta is, is the neighbor to a, a, an Episcopal parish in Seaford that's closed, but landmarked mm-hmm. and therefore ours, right? And so we yeah. run a mission center out of there that's diapers and baby food for mothers and with children on Sunday afternoons. And it's 
every Sunday, every people line up and it's all gone. Um, mm-hmm. On the North Fork, since this was a North Fork question that came in, I think every house of worship on the you know on the North Fork, for example, has what they'll call it a blessing box or something. It looks like a cabinet on a on a post, and you put food in and take it out, and they're all full every day in the beginning and empty at night. And the large Presbyterian church in Mattituck, which is enormous yeah. and it's I think it's almost yeah. 300 years old, so it's a very yeah. historic building. They actually will let people stay over. They do a food program, but it's in the basement, back door, so people aren't embarrassed. And you don't, right. they serve tens, if not 100 people every week. And I think the challenge, in, in my view, again, as non-press person, but as somebody, my dad actually, well, you know, he volunteers with some of that out there. Um, so I'm, I'm aware of it. I, I would imagine it. the hard part would be covering it without the confidentiality mm-hmm. or, or embarrassing people. Maybe that, I don't know, you, you all can, maybe you can all reflect on, on how one approaches some of these issues where they, they're potentially, uh, mental health issues I could see being another one, right? But how, how, are the, how do we approach that? Um, yeah. Make That's the a, point without. Yeah. Yeah, we've done quite a few uh, stories uh, on that recently too. As you, no, I was just gonna say, we've done quite a few with uh, young folks in particular. Uh, Bart Jones has been doing a really good job on following that issue. It's, just, it's a shortage, it's a huge issue out there right now. But I mean, go ahead, go ahead continue I'm no sorry. no no yeah no absolutely I agree it, it, it's very challenging um you know you want to tell the story in a way that you know is true to the story the facts but also true to the people that you know uh it's affecting and it is an issue to do it in it, for some to get somebody to talk about something that you know is very challenging whether it's because they're embarrassed or they're they don't want someone to know, or they have mental, there are mental health issues, or there are all kinds of issues that are tied up in, in all of these things. It doesn't matter, you know, all, everything is sort of interrelated. But I think as journalists, that's our job. You know, our job is to try to tell the truth, tell the stories factually, and be respectful of people that are sharing their stories with us. And, you know, being true to and respectful and, you know, honor the stories that people are are sharing with others to help themselves and to help all of us. Great. I need any, uh, Don, you were, you were developing a thought that I didn't want to, if you want to play that out, and if not, maybe Pam and, and Chris cover the news. And I know, Mike, you're probably asked about it, but not necessarily on the scene with a microphone as a reporter. So, but uh, any any more views on really the how one approaches a delicate story without uh, you know achieving the objective without doing some harm or well, I think I think Newsday's been doing a really good job yes. here yeah. by doing it through the therapists. Yeah, they can tell the story and have done a very very good job telling the story. You know, so I think going to the, to the therapist, you know, they can talk about patient X without you know. Right. Without violating any kind of, you know, privacy issues and whatever, and I think that reading their spread and and also what the horror shows that they're going through with the insurance companies and whatever else, which is yeah. limiting the the access to mental health. Um, I, I think that that's the way to go, and I think I think they've been doing a very good job at that. Thanks, I appreciate that. Bart has has stayed on top of that, and it'll it'll be an issue we'll continue to follow. You know, because we've done a lot, we did a lot with adults early on, but, you know, getting to, to the younger 
younger kids, you know, and the school districts are actually spending some of that federal money as well, too, on that as well. But they they, too, have had problems finding finding people to help their kids. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, the school districts through BOCES have set up a thing in Comac where they can get mental health uh, services for their for their kids. So I think it's a number of districts, Huntington, South Huntington, Comac, of course, and and it's funded by uh, and staffed, I believe, by Northwell. So that was a step yeah, forward. That's true. I haven't, mm -hmm. I haven't gotten back to it yet to do see because they just opened it this year, I believe. So I haven't gotten back to see what kind of stories they're doing. And I'm doing a story on on uh, this week, actually, with Huntington Hospital talking about mental health challenges. But there's not a lot of services locally. You know, there's just not they're not here. And the kids with the drug problems get shipped to South Oaks, you know, and I don't honestly don't know what happens to the kids who's maybe schizophrenic or just depressed because their grades are bad because of the pandemic, whatever the whatever the reason or problem is. I don't know. It's it's hard. I find it very hard to penetrate that story myself. That's true, Pam. That's worth a follow. I think we wrote about the one out in Comac a while yeah. back. So it's worth certainly yeah. a follow up for us as well. I'll be happy to aggregate from you, my friend. <laughs> you know, I, that that that's something the aggregation of and I I've found, you know, at the beginning of the conversation, we talked about the importance of local journalism. And mm -hmm. I found for us one of the ways that, um, you know, we've been able to cover the news and to really support local journalism across Long Island is through partnerships. Mm -hmm. And partnering with other local news organizations, mm -hmm. big, small, anything in between, um, so that we can all do more and better and lift each other up and bring more news to the forefront because we work together. Yes, we're competitive, of course, but mm -hmm. in a friendly, healthy way, I hope, that allows us all to work together so that we can bring more news and information to the public. Um, we work with a small newspaper group out in Suffolk County called the Express News Group, which is made up of lots of little newspapers and then a lot of other local journalists who, you know, come together once a week to do a news and public affairs show about what's in the news that week in across Long Island. We work with Newsday as well mm -hmm. on that. Some of your reporters have been on that show. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, working together and aggregating you know, our resources and news is one way to really support local journalism um, that I think is important and effective. Mm -hmm. I agree. So Don, you, you triggered a question and, and I had written it down thinking I was gonna bring it up anyway, in case it didn't. Uh, you mentioned federal money uh, being spent on those programs. I, I'm not gonna admit why this is the state of my life, but for some reason I had C-SPAN on in the background while I was getting some work done at home between Christmas and New Year's. And I saw the Senate ad in an amendment that passed, so it's part of the omnibus bill because the House passed their law, that state and local municipalities that have unused COVID money will now be able to keep it and use it for other things. I think it was targeted for infrastructure and other. I wonder, clearly with, 100 and, you know, with, with, with 126 school districts on Long Island with all that money, as well as um, 10 towns in Suffolk, three towns and two cities in Nassau and, the, and both counties, as well as the villages, whether that becomes a, and to Pam, to your, your very beginning point, whether that's the source of the infrastructure funding that can maybe be used to deal with some of these things, quote unquote, without raising taxes, because they have the money. And I think Newsday did the reporting on how much unspent COVID money there was at the school districts. That's what yeah. triggered it. Um, and so I'm, I'm wondering if that's a story to watch. I think I heard that correctly. I, I, they repeated it and it passed. It was one of the few amendments that 
passed and um and it made the senate made the omnibus budget bill and i'm, I'm wondering and it, you know mike you know nassau county put aside the legislature put aside all the COVID money in a special fund that the county executive couldn't use but that's by that's by legislative statute and and there's a different county executive they may be more inclined to let him use it but you know that number itself was three or four hundred million dollars right so i'm wondering if there's a story there as that works its way through the system that might make in, make all these other stories interesting i think that's an excellent i think that's an excellent story it's the money to do this other I, as long as i heard it correctly again i watched it yeah. I, I said wait a second let me play that back and um i didn't catch the parameters but it, broadly the speechifying you know, in the two minutes of debate that the amendment got, it was to use it for infrastructure and other approved uses. That is interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm going to check back with our DC reporters on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I wasn't trying to make make news, but I. No, 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 no. <laughs> because I, I I wasn't aware of that one. That that had, it was that had. It was in the middle there. of the day. I was reading a book, and the TV was on. It was one of those one of those things, but it it uh, it did make the bill. Um, mm -hmm. And I I do know that. Um, at a few events, our senior senator mentioned that um, you know New York got back more than it paid in for the first time in 100 years, and I think some of it is that. I think some of what supported that statement at the LIA and a couple of inaugurations was that the money can stay now. Oh, that is you awesome. know, you know, one of the things too, Chris. I want we want to know when we're trying to track right now is what did the MTA do with all of its money? Uh -huh. Well. And, and they may be one of those municipal, I don't know if state agencies were counted in that amendment. They may be one of the entities that's allowed to keep it too. Right. I want to know if they have any the left. Purpose. <laughs> but, but they, they, as you know, right? Yeah. And and when can I start going straight to Grand Central? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> you know, right. right. We're, we're actually working on it. My goodness. We've done it 2022. <laughs> we're working on another, on another one of those today, actually. <laughs> so this is a broad question. What's the date? <laughs> oh yeah, I thought they said. Did they say it? They just said not. They said when it's not going to be right. They didn't put a date in the sand. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I take the Babylon line anyway. It wouldn't be convenient. I'd still have to change it, Jamaica. So, so um, is everyone? I mean, Don, you're back at work. Uh, this is sort of a, a question that came from the outside. Are are all of you who who now, Pam? You probably home office didn't Mike as well. But are are those of you with offices back in? Is is the journalistic engine back in the office? Is it? Yeah hybrid um what, what's that maybe don you can answer i know the obvious i've got a photo proof that well, the people behind you showing up so yeah well, but we're still voluntary okay so we have a few brave, out, right? brave brave members of the staff showing up actually the irony, the irony for me is that all throughout COVID, i went into the office and September of two of last year, not last year, the year before, I lost my office in Savo, okay, due to the mental health crisis, believe it or not, because the major tenant in the building uh, was uh, a mental health specialist, and they were so busy that they needed to take over. They bought the building and then they took over my space. They optioned your space. We need to take over your space because we're so we're just we're just so busy. Okay. Uh, so ironically i set up the home office after covid and i lost my office space due to the mental health crisis but you had all the examples that people gave you the right desk to buy and the right, uh, the right room to so at least you, you benefited from the cumulative knowledge right? true enough yeah 
How about uh, Diana? Are you in an office? It looks like you're in an office um, setting. So we are very hybrid. Um, you know, we have multiple uh, facilities. I'll just kind of tick through them real quickly. Our New Jersey facility, which is a runs a daily news show, is mostly back in the office in the field, but still some hybrid. Our New York facility is very much volunteer, um, but more people going in than not. But, you know, every time a bunch of people go in, someone gets COVID. So, you know, there's a lot of COVID going around again. So it's sort of, you know, but it's volunteer. Um, our Plainview facility is used now and then, but not open on a daily basis. No one is really going there all the time. But our radio station out in Southampton has been open and running with people in it every single day since the beginning of the pandemic. But it's a very small staff. Um, and so it's pretty much sometimes one person in there at a time, sometimes two. So it's very limited. The space is big enough for people to be there and be on the air live and do their work. Um, so it kind of runs the gamut. And it's really just kind of whatever works, depending on your circumstance. There's a lot of flexibility, thankfully. And but people like when they get back together you know, in, in a safe environment. People have said that, you know, the few times that we've gotten together as, um, you know, a team that they've enjoyed that, but nobody wants to do it like Bob Iger wants them to do it four days a week. Yeah, we're, we're in person in the consulting and accounting business. Most of the firms are sort of, our, our name for it is in person with a purpose. Not, don't yeah. just show up because we're taking attendance, but let's, it's leadership's job to create reasons for people to be in the same room Exactly. You know, in an office. And that's, you yeah. know, and that's, it's all the interaction. And, you yeah. know, if you're promoting people who have to lead meetings and none of them has ever been in a room in person, you're probably creating a career inhibition, right? So yeah. how do you read yeah. a room and if I, you've I, never been in one? Yeah. yeah. And I, I agree with Bob Iger's thinking in terms of, you know, especially having grown up in, in, in news environments where, you know, it's very collaborative. There's a lot of yelling across the newsroom and, you know, I miss that. And, and there is a lot to be said for that. But I think people's mindsets have shifted to what you're talking about. You know, there really has to be a strong purpose for people to come together. And sometimes in a news environment, that is the purpose. Um, but for us, it's sort of what you said. It's, you know, it, on a on a on a, um, a reasonable as needed basis and what makes people comfortable and, and works. So is it more Fletch or all the president's men in the newsroom? <laughs> it depends on the newsroom i've been in both <laughs> we've been back uh, since march of 2022 five days a week fully in the yeah. office um, oh, wow you know listen i have three little kids eight five and three i'd like to see them more during the day but you yeah. know the interaction that we have here the ability to go right outside and work yeah. with my people right in the pods out here it's it is valuable I, at first you know you have the sour i'm not going to be as productive i'm going to be driving for x amount of minutes or hours a day you know i feel that time now too whether it's calls whether it's different ways of productivity mental health for me mental health is listening to howard stern but uh the the <laughs> idea of <laughs> the idea of being here is um refreshing if you yeah. think about it as refreshing. The other yeah. thing is we just moved in in September to brand new news facilities as well in Bethpage. The News 12 had been in Woodbury for 35, 36 years. That building actually just got leveled uh, a couple of weeks wow. ago. It no longer exists. Wow. I think there's one brick left that we have here. Uh, wow. And so Bethpage facilities are beautiful, modern. 
modern, you know, state of the art. And that is enticing to want to go and be part of. And also there's a large corporate structure here with other Altice, you know, people. There's it's whatever, 10,000 different employees across the company, but there's a, a ton of business folks here, sales folks. And that helps several of us who have those types of meetings. And you feel like you're part of something even bigger, you know, and I've yeah. always felt that if you if you're at Newsday or News 12 or any organization that you're part of, feel like something's bigger than you. Well, I have the luxury of saying News 12 is bigger than me, Altice is bigger than me, and we get to be around all of that. So, you know, it's a different boost mentally, I think, when you're walking in the doors. And I hope other people feel that way. I'm sure there are people that say, I could do the same job at home, but um, they're not. <laughs> they're doing it here. Um, the thing that drives me nuts is if there's a handful of people here and there's a couple of else out. We have, again, as I've said, multiple stations across the tri-state. So not everybody can be in person. But if I have six or seven people here, they're all on Zoom and they're in the same building. It drives yeah. me nuts. Um, but sometimes it's inevitable and it just it's easier. So, yeah, it's a new experience to walk down the hall with your laptop and actually join somebody on a call in person. <laughs> yes. It creates all sorts of you have to remember to mute all the devices or the echo will blast, will blow eardrums up immediately. Like yeah. people, you know. And Pam, I assume you've been sort of a roving from home reporter. Uh, you haven't, like Mike, now gotten yourself an office to go the other way, too. No, I'm, I'm at home. I've been home for a long time. I miss newsrooms a lot. I love the yeah. whole energy of a newsroom. I really miss it in that sense. But I also, I do feel like I'm more productive. I can roll out of bed and hit my laptop immediately. And the problem with that is then I'm stuck for the rest of the day. I don't, I don't go out, you know, unless there's like a really compelling reason. I'm just stuck, attached to my computer. Uh, so it's not a, it's not probably not mentally very healthy uh, uh, way to operate. But I mean, it is. Uh, I I like some of the working at you know working from home, but I I do miss the news. I I've never worked anywhere. I've worked a couple of other kinds of jobs. The newsrooms newsrooms are the best. Absolutely, the craziness, the camaraderie, the energy. You hear a lot that nobody ever actually tells you. You hear what's going yeah. on. I miss that kind of yeah. conversation. Yeah. I'm going to age myself. One thing I, I bet you don't miss about the old newsrooms was when I first broke in in the 70s was that cloud of smoke. Yeah. Yes. Oh, God. oh, yeah. <laughs> Cigarette butts on the noise, floor. Because everybody was still on typewriters. You know, the yeah. I got to have the typewriters. It was noisy and smoky right. when I first broke in. I learned how to change the paper on the wire machines in a mm. newsroom, you know. Right. And I also was there one time when a guy accidentally set a fire in the wastebasket. Oh. No. <laughs> I've seen that Nobody one too. Yeah. And those, yeah. those, those large <laughs> units in the ceiling did not take the smoke out. No matter what, no, you they, did, they did no. not do it. No. Didn't, no. Yeah. No. Yes, exactly, exactly. Well, we're we're coming close to time, so I just a parting shot question for anyone who'd like to share. Uh, uh, what is it that the Fair Media Council can do to sort of? We've talked about a lot of issues and uh, stories to cut that you'll be covering and watching. Is there anything the FMC can do to to um, to help you with that or, or, or help, you know, expose, highlight, or otherwise focus. I love the fact that you guys get us together. I mean, That's I what I was about to say. Really <laughs> valuable conversation. Right. And I know no, 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 none of us had a lot of time to keep having a lot of meetings, but they're yeah. really bad. I really enjoy it. It makes me think about a lot of things. Yes, I agree. Totally. I also love that Jackie and her organization do a really good job of bringing in young, the younger, young people, young people who are aspiring to be journalists and really mentoring them and finding ways for them to learn about this wonderful business that we're in and 
and you know it's not just a business it's a calling and um and you know i think that that's extraordinarily valuable and important and i i really appreciate that tremendously and these kinds of discussions and the newsletters and the podcasts and all the things that you know the fair media council has you know been doing um in the last few years to expand its reach has been great the Fair Media Council is a 501c3 nonprofit organization advocating for quality news and working to create a media savvy society. For more information about the Fair Media Council and upcoming fast chat shows, check out fairmediacouncil.org. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.